0: to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight. twilight.
1: Juneteenth. Freedom. Emancipation. Liberation. What does it mean? How does it work? Who decides its parameters? Who ensures and enforces said, parameters. Questions are paralyzing without answers. Paralysis of analysis takes hold. Juneteenth. Emancipation Day. Freedom Day. Which is it? Our destination is always the same. We're headed toward the solar system of less confusion.
2: This afternoon is actually a very special time for me because uh, I have the privilege of introducing uh, someone who uh, really was a major uh, influence in me becoming involved in the field of African American history um, back about, believe it or not, 30 years ago. Um, There was an institution called the Institute of the Black World and Lerone Bennett was one of the founding fellows of the institute and I had the privilege of going there and spending a year. Um, study in African and African-American history with um, the likes of Mr. Bennett and um, actually Bill Strickland was there too and uh, Vincent Harding and CLR James and St. Clair Drake and um, George Beckford and Walter Rodney and a host, frankly, the best African and African-American minds in the world dealing with the African and African-American experience and I have the privilege today of being able to introduce to you and have him present from the Schomburg Center um, for the first time, a um, presentation on, uh, on his new book. His name is, of course, Lerone Bennett Jr. He is the author of the recently published book Forced into Glory, Abraham Lincoln's White Dream. He is also the author of the classic study *An uh, African American history before the Mayflower. Um, he's written innumerable um, uh, uh, text on this subject as well as articles in Ebony Magazine and elsewhere uh, he in my mind has been the um, principal link to the broad general public um, between the African-american historical experience and that community itself through the uh, pages of ebony he has brought probably more history into the home into the uh, the homes of uh, African- American people and as he, um, uh, used to tell me that the, the challenge of our time is to try to figure out how to get the history out of the books and off the shelves and into the minds and muscles of the people. Uh, he has done probably more of that than any other single individual, certainly in this past century. Uh, in 1965, he won the Patriot Saints Award of uh, the Society of Middle and Authors for his biography of Martin Luther King Jr. What Manner of a Man. He received the Literature Award of the American Academy of Arts and Letters in 1978 and he is uh, currently the executive editor of Ebony Magazine and lives in Chicago, Illinois. Please join me in welcoming Mr. Laurent Bennett.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Chief Dodson is one of my teachers. A long time ago when we had hair, he introduced me to the continuing struggle to win the fight, to tell the truth about the black people of this country. And I'm, and I'm, I'm so glad to be here with him. I say some wild things from time to time. But he's not responsible for the wild things I say. If I say anything that makes any sense, Howard and Bill Strickland are largely responsible for they taught me what I need to do in this world. Let me say secondly, and I hope you will not time me yet. <clears throat> I'm so honored and overwhelmed to be in this holy institution. This is a holy place. Where's their brother? I never come here without feeling the accusing presence of John Henry Clark and and Langston Hughes and Gene Hudson and Jay Rogers, who are always with me and who are always telling me that you're not doing enough, whatever you're doing that you're not thinking enough whatever you're thinking, that you're not writing enough whatever you're writing. I'm honored to stand here. I'm overwhelmed to stand here. I'm not, I I don't feel able to stand here under the pressure of this history. And I want to say that all Americans are indebted to this institution. I promised Howard I would say that all Americans ought to send some money to this institution. (laughs) This is not a Harlem institution alone. This is not a New York institution alone. This is a national institution. And we all ought to be supporting it on its 75th anniversary. Now to work, you can start the timer. I bring with me tonight, uh, this afternoon, good news and bad news about Abraham Lincoln. The bad news is that if Abraham Lincoln had had his way, you would not be you today, and you would not be here today. You might be happier, you might be greater, you might be phenomenally different, but you would not be you, and you would not be in Harlem today. If Lincoln had had his way, There would be no black people in America at all, none. Harlem would be a white way, and the south sides of this world would be pale sides. If the quote unquote great emancipator had been able to carry out his lifelong dream of deporting my great great grandmama and your great great grandmama and great papa and creating a great all white Eden, we would not be here, and that would not be a Schomburg sinner here today. That's the bad news. The good news is that Lincoln didn't have his way and that he was forced, literally forced, literally whipped, into the glory of associating himself with an emancipation policy that he po- opposed all his life, even after he drafted the document. The document. About to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, the Twilight. We still don't know who we are and how powerful we are. We still don't know that story of how we came out of slavery and, and, and got land in almost all of the southern states and how in 1877 we were violently driven from power the land was violently taken from us and people tried to reduce as many black people as they could to sharecropping. but before that happened there were a number of men across the south george reed was one of them who 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 found the stake who created the stake and a number of them who maintained it for several years in the civil war contrary to what we've been told everywhere African Americans, male and female, played a major role in emancipating themselves. And as I have indicated in a book I wrote recently, black men did as much as anybody else to, 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 to emancipate black people and to help emancipate America. Uh, some 200,000 black men fought in the Union Army and Lincoln and Grant and other people said, well, We couldn't, the Union could not have won that war without the help of these 200,000 or so black soldiers who who fought in the war. And uh, as a result of that, at the end of the war, radical Republicans like Charles Sumner, that is Stevens and uh, Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman fought for and achieved the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment. And civil rights bills, the strongest civil rights bills ever passed in this country, bar none. Because of that, uh, uh, black people had this moment of power for about 10 years, from about 1867 to 1877. They elected the first black governor, uh, were responsible for electing the first black governor. PBS Pinchbank back in, in Louisiana, the first black lieutenant governors. Uh, that, w- that was a majority, a black majority in the South Carolina legislature. All this happened in the 10 years between 1867 and 1877. And then in in, in a reactionary period remarkably similar to this period, uh, they were driven from power and they were systematically uh, uh, disenfranchised, et cetera. So in 1800, and 76, the last great election of that period, uh, when the revolution occurred in 1876, then in 1877, there was a compromise, what they call the Compromise of 1877, and white northerners and white southerners agreed to to, 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 to ignore the 13, 14, I mean 14th and 15th amendment, and we were driven back towards slavery, and as a result of that, uh, Shea was, was, was installed, initiated, and we did not really get out of this period until the great uh, freedom movement of the middle of the 20th century. But the compromise of 1877 is for me that, that the a major marking point of African American history in this country. This country.
3: But first, we want to talk about an important anniversary, the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. That took place on January 1st, 1863, 150 years ago. The original document itself was seen briefly in public for three days leading up to the first. It's so fragile, it is rarely publicly displayed. But just as important, it turns out it's one of the more misunderstood documents in American history. Here to tell us more about that is Lonnie Bunch. He is an historian and founding director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, and he's kind of to join us in our Washington, D.C. studios. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. Same to you. It's my pleasure to be here. What exactly did the Emancipation Proclamation do? I think it's commonly understood that it freed the slaves. I mean, if you were to stop five people on the street, I'm sure everybody would say it freed the slaves, right?
4: The Emancipation Proclamation is without a doubt the most misunderstood document in American history, that on the one hand... Hand, the Emancipation Proclamation did not end slavery. Slavery was ended when the 13th Amendment was ratified. But what the Emancipation Proclamation does that's so important is it begins a creeping process of emancipation where the federal government is now finally taking firm stands to say slavery is wrong and it must end.
3: Well, how did Abraham Lincoln do this? Under what authority did he do this? Since, as you pointed out, it was not it didn't end slavery it, didn't, it wasn't a law
4: right well what the emancipation proclamation was was a presidential proclamation and it was part of the war um, plans so that in essence what the emancipation proclamation did was Lincoln realized that two things were happening One is that there was a worry that um, European nations might support the Confederacy. There was also a worry about how do we get more and more people to fight for the Union cause. After the initial year, people were saying, well, you know what, I'm not sure I want to fight for this. Suddenly, Lincoln realized that he could have an impact on the South by taking away workers and labor from the south, encouraging people to then come north, join the Union Army, so therefore you'd have more soldiers, and add a moral tinge to the war. So all of that was behind Lincoln's thinking when the emancipation was issued.
3: What about the timing of it? Why did it come when it came on that day, at that time? And as as you were just telling us, the U.S. was already two years into the war by the time it it was signed. Why that timing?
4: Well, what's clear is that Lincoln felt that if he could end the war and restore the Union without ending slavery, that would be okay for him. But by the time the Emancipation Proclamation is issued, Lincoln realized that he had to do something bold. And part of the timing was that he had been working on this for the whole summer, but he realized that he didn't have the sort of moral power to let this go until there was a Union victory. Because after all, what had happened was if he had announced the Emancipation Proclamation and then there was a battle where the Union lost, it would seem like just words on a paper. So what he did was he waited to release the Emancipation till after they won the victory in Antietam in 1862. That then made it seem in the minds of many, Europeans and not, that the Union was winning and it gave more power, more moral authority to the Emancipation.
3: Are you saying that this was a step that he had always planned to take from the start of the war, or was it something that, was he dragged to? Was he pushed? Did he jump? It was an evolving
4: thought. I would argue that the Emancipation Proclamation is not just about Lincoln, that in essence what happens is, is that as soon as the war breaks out, Hundreds and later, thousands of African-Americans flee to the Union lines. They begin to put pressure on the North to say, what are we going to do with these people? It led to a series of actions that culminates in the Emancipation Proclamation. So in some ways, Lincoln thought about ending slavery um, as part of his evolving thinking, but part of that thinking was pushed by black people saying, we're free, now what else can we do?
3: This is Tell Me More from NPR News. I'm Michelle Martin. I'm speaking with Lonnie Bunch about the 150th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. He's telling us that this is actually one of the most misunderstood, well-known documents in American history. What was the reaction to to it, by the way? I mean, I know we live in a 24-hour news cycle now where people, if the president says something interested, people can know about it in 30 seconds via Twitter and every other means of communication. But Things obviously clearly didn't move that quickly then, but how was it received? Was it perceived as this powerful, important step that we now believe it to be?
4: I think in many ways um, there were a variety of ways people reacted to the emancipation, that many European nations saw it as putting sort of a moral authority on the war. And so therefore places like England and France said, well, we'll stay out, we won't support the Confederacy.
3: Well, these were places where slavery had
4: already been outlawed. But these were places that made a lot of money based on the cotton that the slaves produced. So there was a fear that France or England might recognize the Confederacy and give it legitimacy. So the emancipation, on the one hand, took away that opportunity because otherwise it would seem that they would be endorsing slavery. But the other thing is that while there were many abolitionists who really rallied around this, and especially the free black community felt that this was really the beginning of the end of slavery, um, there were many others who basically felt, why is Lincoln making this war about slavery? And there were many in the U.S. military, in the, in the Northern Army, who basically felt that we really didn't shine up to free the slaves. So there were a variety of conflicting notions, but what I think is very powerful about it is Lincoln knew that his actions would begin to transform the country when it came to this issue, and that was his genius.
3: What do you think about uh, Well, first, before we talk about sort of how we think about this document today, let's talk about the document itself. And I think most people think of President Lincoln as a great speechwriter, one of our pre- great greatest presidential wordsmiths. But the first, you know, the opening lines of the Emancipation Proclamation are actually, um, how can we put it, kind of turgid legalese. Legal Is that harsh? But I mean, why is that?
4: Because in some ways, what Lincoln had to do is this wasn't just for the public. He had to make the kind of intellectual argument about why he did this and what was the benefit to the north of this happening so that's why you see that he lays out what areas of the country are influenced by this or under the impact what are not but I think for me what is so powerful and this is where Lincoln the wordsmith comes in is very early in the document he talks about that they would be forever free and it to me that is the most powerful part of the Emancipation Proclamation that basically puts the the power of the United States government saying ultimately these individuals will be forever free.
3: Here in Washington, D.C., as I mentioned, that the original was on view just for three days under some very strict conditions. The lighting was very low, uh, obviously under heavy guard. Uh, thousands of people lined up in the cold to view the document. First of all, why is it so rarely seen publicly and why do you think so many people wanted to see it? Well I think that uh, it is so fragile
4: and that in some ways um, when you go to the National Archives and you see the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence that early on in the creation of the Archives the Emancipation Proclamation wasn't considered its equal. But what has happened is as a result of everything from civil rights to the changing diversity of our workforce the the archives realized this is one of the most important documents. And I remember when they first put it on display, it must have been 15 years ago, and they weren't sure whether people would come out to see it. And I remember taking my young daughters, and we stood in this line that was so long, and that convinced us that for people, the Emancipation Proclamation, even if you don't know what it is, has this amazing power. I mean, I'm always struck by the fact that I was once in South Africa. Uh, in the bush in the middle of nowhere and I was following a, a woman from a tribe because candidly she was walking and I was afraid of snakes so I was walking very close to her she turned around to me and she said you're an American do you have your copy and I thought she meant the past laws she turned around and said do you have your copy of the Emancipation Proclamation so here I am in South Africa in the middle of nowhere and a woman saying to me do you have a copy because this means so much it symbolizes the possibility of freedom globally
3: what do you make of the, the argument that the Civil War really wasn't about slavery, that it wasn't that significant a document, that Lincoln was grudgingly pulled into the emancipation?
4: There is no doubt that Lincoln was both pulled, pushed, and he had some of his own momentum. So it wasn't necessarily that Lincoln said, this is something I want to do for my whole career. But I think what's important to realize about this is that this document is so important because of what doors it opened, it, what possibilities it opened. And I think the debates around it are really fascinating because I think in some ways what has changed now, hopefully around the sesquicentennial rather than the centennial, is the realization that Lincoln didn't just free the slaves that the enslaved population took a major role in their own liberty and their own
3: freedom. Describing that, by what? Like fleeing well, or think, by being, think, think fleeing to the northern lines? or
4: So you know. here you have um, troops coming into Virginia or North Carolina, and these enslaved people free to the lines. They ultimately begin to be put into dirt and camps that that the Union called contraband camps, but we like to call them Freedmen's Villages. And that in these villages, many of these people began to push to join in the Army, to play a role in terms of providing their labor for the Union, and they began to sort of force the country and force Lincoln especially to recognize that there's great political, military benefit from having more people leave the South and become part of the war effort for the North. So in some ways, the contrabands really forced the federal government to create policy. They cre- they forced them to figure out, well, do we return them or do we not? Do we put them up in camps or do we not? What Can they be part of the military or can they not? All of this began to push the federal government leading to the Emancipation Proclamation.
3: Is there something you hope that this anniversary, the 150th anniversary of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation will encourage people to think about that they might not otherwise think about?
4: Well, I think that on a very specific notion, I would love people to realize that African Americans were agents in their own liberty. I think that that's an important piece rather than simply the notion, if you look at the movie Lincoln, it seems as if Lincoln freed the slaves, rather that it's part of a complicated, nuanced puzzle that led to emancipation. But I think the other part that's so important to me about this moment is this is a moment for Americans to remember that you can believe in a change that you can't see. That the the Emancipation Proclamation, slavery was something that everybody knew was going to exist forever, except for a few fanaticals. But suddenly the Emancipation Proclamation began America on a trajectory that ultimately led to a fundamental change in citizenship and equality. And so what I hope is that people would realize that they have a right to demand and affect change because change is possible in this
3: country. Lonnie Bunch is the founding director of the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture here with us in Washington, D.C. Lonnie Bunch, thank you so much for speaking with us. My pleasure is always. My pleasure is always. My pleasure is always. <laughs>
2: interrupted its regular program through the request today During this emergency... We are of being
4: sick Today is
0: time to stop singing and stop swinging. We are coming...
1: To get out, check. You, you are now listening to, listening to, to P A, A R R. R, 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 that's, People R Radio. Radio. that's People Activity Radio. And I'm your host. I'm your host. I'm your host. John, John. G John G Horse. 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 Welcome. Welcome. You have found, you your, have family. found your family in a peaceful place. A peaceful place. Uh, uh, uh. P-A-R, PAR is a family-friendly information, information distribution, distribution program, program, program seeking, program seeking, to seeking to inform seeking non-white, non-white, people. non-white people. In particular, in particular black, classified, black classified, classified and assisting and in and counter-racist codification. The title of today's episode is Emancipation Before and after Juneteenth I repeat the title one more again The title of today's episode is Emancipation Before and After Juneteenth Juneteenth
3: AR is a family-friendly information distribution program dedicated to creating less confusion for people subject to non-white in particular black classification, less confusion with the ultimate goal of solving problems, replace the system of racism white supremacy with a system of justice, immediately. John G Horses cash app is dollar sign capital J O H N capital H O R S E Feel free to donate if you feel this program is constructive and worth your time
1: Feel free to donate If you feel this program is constructive and worth your time, time, time uh. Lean back Close them eyes And let the beat Drizzle, fizzle, and, and sizzle in your, spirit, in your spirit. One time for the emancipation generation. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. If you got your libations, you know what to do with them. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. For all the grandcestors and ancestors Who put in the ultimate work Y'all know what I'm talking about Commemorating their memory Consolidating their work In the month of June You know how we do When we think The beat is poppin' We gon' let that thing ride on Yes, indeed. Yes indeed. P.A.R., People Activity Radio, you found your family in a peaceful place. The title of today's episode is Emancipation Before and After Juneteenth. And what we're going to do, we're going to get into a little bit of paperwork. We're going to get into a little bit of the documented and verified information that we have about the history of these United States of America. And... I'm going to read an article written by Professor of History at Tufts University Chris Manjopra and I hope I ain't tearing his name up one more time for those of you who like to read source material K-R-I-S Manjopra that would be M-A-N-J-A-P-R-A professor of history at tufts university he's also an author Uh, tongue tied in this one already hadn't even got into the show he's also an the author of the book that was released i believe in 2022 titled oh let me get it hold on family one second goodness gracious i'm supposed to be prepared here I am fumbling and bumbling through my notes and I'm supposed to have this stuff at the tip of my tongue he is the author of the book Ghosts of Empire Ghosts of Empire and I hope I didn't mess that up and I am going to read an article he wrote on the website Government Executive Website Government Executive that would be gov exec.com G-O-V-E-X-E-C.com. I'm giving you the source because this particular source leads into a lot of information on the subject of the emancipation proclamation and the civil war efforts, uh, organized military efforts of people subject to non-white in particular black classification. North of the Mason-Dixie line, and south of the Mason-Dixie line? Why was it in the interest of people subject to non-white, in particular black classification, to pick up muskets, put in work, simultaneously saving the union and getting those of us who were subject to black classification off those plantations, or as they like to say, emancipating, liberating, freeing people? So I'm just going to jump right into the article and I'll make my comments while I'm reading. And the article reads, the actual day was June 19th, 1865, and it was the black dock workers in Galveston, Texas, who first heard the word that freedom for the enslaved had come. There were speeches, sermons, and shared meals mostly held at black churches, the safest places to have such celebrations the perils of unjust laws and racist social customs were still great in Texas for the 200,050 enslaved black people there 250 thousand enslaved black people there, excuse the tongue tiedness but the celebrations known as Juneteenth were said to have gone on for seven straight days The spontaneous jubilation was partly over General Gordon Granger's General Order No. 3. It read in part, The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. But the emancipation that took place in Texas that day in 1865 was just the latest in a series of emancipations that had been unfolded, since the 1970s, most notably the Emancipation Proclamation, signed by Abraham Lincoln two years earlier on January 1st, 1863. As I explore in my book, Black Ghost of Empire, between the 1780s and 1930s, during the era of liberal empire and the rise of modern humanitarianism, humanitarian humanitarian, goodness gracious, humanitarianism. Over 80 emancipations from slavery occurred from Pennsylvania in 1780 to Sierra Leone in 1936. That's neither here nor there. Reading the article. Let's move on. There were in fact 20 separate emancipations in the United States alone from 1780 to 1865 across the United States, north and south. Let me say that one more time. For us learned people who are aspiring to be less confused, there were, in fact, 20 separate emancipations in the United States alone from 1780 to 1865 across the United States, North and South. In my view as a scholar of race and colonialism, Emancipation Days, Juneteenth in Texas, are not what many people think because emancipation did not do what most of us think it did. And what what might that be, Professor? Let's get into this work. As historians have long documented, emancipations did not remove all the shackles that prevented black people from obtaining full citizenship rights, nor did emancipations prevent states from enacting their own laws that prohibited black people from voting or living in white neighborhoods. Let's get into this work. In fact, based on my research, emancipations were actually designed to force blacks and the federal government to pay reparations to slave owners. Let me say, read that part one more time, Professor Chris. In fact, based on my research, that is Professor Chris's research, emancipations were actually designed to force blacks and the federal government to pay reparations to slave owners, not to enslave. Interesting. Thus, ensuring white people maintain advantages in curing and passing down wealth across generations. Now, it's either true or it's not true. Reparations to slave owners. The emancipation shared three common features that, when added together, merely freed the enslaved in one sense, but re enslaved them in another sense. Oh, let's get into it, Professor Chris. The first. Arguably the most important was the ideology of gradualism, which said that atrocities against black people would be ended slowly over a long and open-ended period. The second feature was state legislators who held fast to the racist principle that emancipated people were units of slave owner property, not captives who had been subjected to crimes against humanity interesting. The third was insistence that black people had to take on various forms of debt in order to exit slavery. This included economic debt exacted by the ongoing forced and unpaid work that freed people had to pay to slave owners. In essence, freed people had to pay for their freedom, while enslavers had to be paid to allow them to be free, yeah, that's pretty much how this system works. The system of racism, white supremacy. Let's move on. Goodness gracious. Slobbering at the mouth. Emancipation, myths, and realities. On March 1st, ni- 1780, one more again, on March 1st, 1780, for instance, Pennsylvania state legislators said a global president for how emancipations would pay reparations to slave owners and buttress the system of white property rule. Now, this is when we get into words. Uh, legislation is politics, war of words. And it's, the proof is in the pudding. You got to read the small print when people are talking about legislation. Now, uh, Professor Chris is finna get into the word wars that was going on outside of the circumference of knowledge of people who were just getting out of bondage. You understand me? Let's get into that work. Professor Chris writes, the Pennsylvania Act for the Gradual Abolition of Slavery stipulated that all persons, as well as Negroes and mulattoes, as others, who shall be born with this state, from and after the passing of the act shall not be deemed and considered as servants for life or slaves. Let me read that one more time. The Pennsylvania act of gradual abolition of slavery stipulated that all persons as well Negroes and mulattoes as others who shall be born within this state from and after the passing of this act shall not be deemed and considered as servants or life or slaves, meaning if you're born after this act, you will no longer be considered a slave for life, a servant for life. Let's go back, let's go back into the uh, paperwork, the word wars. At the same time, the legislation prescribed that every Negro and mulatto child born within this state could be held in servitude until the age of 28 years and liable like correction and punishment as enslaved people mean so on one hand they say you're free you no longer the next time you have a black baby a non-white baby a mulatto baby whatever they're calling you at the time a baby a color whatever that baby will not be a servant or slave for life but they will be in bondage and servitude until 28 years old Now that's either true or it's not true I'm giving you the source This stuff is interesting It removes a lot of confusion About what was going on then And what's going on now And how we gonna get To put all this together On what our ancestors did And why we're recognizing The day of June 19th As well as other days That culminated from the work put in But see We don't really get into the fine print of the hustle that was going on behind the wizard's curtain. You understand me? For the lack of a better term, let's move on. Professor Chris writes, after the first emancipation day in Pennsylvania, and this is in 1780, I believe. <laughs> yeah, 1780. After that first emancipation day in pennsylvania enslaved people still remained in bondage for the rest of their lives unless voluntarily freed by slave owners how is that possible if they were free no they didn't qualify it was only people born after that uh particular piece of paperwork and after that piece of paperwork uh you still was gonna be uh in bondage up until 28 years old. Or your, your, your owner said, go here about your business. I don't want you working for me no more. You're free. Okay, your papers. See the choice, is not true. Let's move on. Only the newborn children of enslaved women were norm- nominally free after Emancipation Day. Even then, these children were forced to serve as bonded laborers from childhood until their 28th birthday. All future emancipations shared the Pennsylvania DNA. So this was the blueprint. For maintaining racism, white supremacy in 1780, the first emancipation day in the United States of America. Now it's important to read all this stuff in context to what we're talking about today, uh, June 19th, 19, 19, I mean 1865. History doesn't happen in a vacuum, it's all connected. You understand me? Let's move on. Professor Chris writes, Emancipation Day came to Connecticut and Rhode Island on March 1st, 1784. On July 4th, 1799, it dawned in New York. And on July 4th, 1804, sound familiar? In New Jersey. After 1838, West Indian people in the United States began commemorating the British Empire's Emancipation Day. August 1st, the District of Columbia Day came on April 16, 1862. Eight months later, on January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that freed the enslaved on only in confederate states not in the states loyal to the union such as new jersey maryland delaware kentucky and missouri emancipation day dawned in maryland on november 1st 1864 the following year emancipation was granted on april 3rd in virginia on may 8th in mississippi on may 20th in florida on may 29th in georgia on june 19th in texas on August 8th in Tennessee and Kentucky. Now, why is it all these different days? Because they had to get troops down there to enforce the paperwork. What troops had to enforce the paperwork? What troops were motivated to enforce the paperwork? And I'm talking about the 1860s uh, emancipation days. The troops that were ready to put in work to enforce the paperwork was the Colored Union troops, the ancestors and the grandcestors, The women, men, and children who was laying down their lives to get folks up out of that chattel, killer squad, plantation culture. These people was out there putting in work. They wasn't in the wizard's house with the word wars that was going on and the back room deals. You understand me? Slavery by another name. After the Civil War, the three Reconstruction Amendments to the United States Constitution each contained loopholes that aided the ongoing oppression of black communities. The 13th Amendment of 1865 allowed for the enslavement of incarcerated people through convict leasing. Lord have mercy, convict leasing, chain gains. You understand me? I mean, they criminalize everything if you're sitting down on the corner and you're black. That's a crime. If you're standing up on a cone, if you're black, that's a crime. If you ain't working, and you're black, that's a crime. If you're working and you're going to work and you ain't got your working papers, that's a crime. If you're drinking water out of a water fountain that's designated for people classified, that's a crime. If you're sitting on a toilet that's designated for white folks and you're classified as black, that's a crime. You see how the hustle go? All the crimes are being enforced against non-white people in particular people subject to black classification so the 13th amendment says allows you to be free unless you commit a crime you see how that works. so your blackness your black classification is the crime it's still slavery by another name see the tour is not true let's move on the 14th amendment in 1868 permitted incarcerated people to be denied the right to vote. You know how that works. I don't have to do that math for you. And the 15th Amendment in 1870 failed to explicitly ban forms of voter suppression that targeted black voters and would intensify during the coming Jim Crow era. Yes, indeed. So the recodification of systematic anti-blackness, white terror domination, racism, white supremacy, the reconstruction of slavery by another name, by way of black classification in these United States, but it still does not remove the fact that the ancestors, 260 plus thousand ancestors, jumped they behinds up off them plantations, went and got some muskets and some musket balls, returned back to ground zero to put in work, saving the union, and liberating themselves from chattel, bondage, terroristic slavery. It's either true or it's not true. Something worth mentioning. Something worth commemorating. Something worth getting right. Something worth creating pageantry around. The ultimate patriots. Those who were mistreated, disenfranchised, enslaved, saved the country that a couple months ago ain't even have nothing for you to do other than work for free and die. See the truth is not true. In fact, Granger's order number three on June 19, 1865 spelled it out. Freeing the slaves, the order read, involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and connection here therefore existing between them become that between employer and hired labor. Yet the order further states, the freed are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages they are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere the meaning of juneteenth since the moment a pants emancipation celebration started in march 1st 1780 all the way up to june 19 1865 black crowds gathered to seek redress for slavery on that first Juneteenth in Texas, and increasingly so, dur- and increasingly so during the ones that follow, free people celebrated their resilience amid the failure of emancipation to bring full freedom. They stood for the end of debt bondage, racial policing, discriminatory laws that unjustly harm Black communities. They elevated their collective imagination from out of the spiritual sinkhole of white property rule. Over the decades, the traditions of Juneteenth ripened into larger gatherings in public parks with barbecue picnics, firecrackers, street parades, and brass bands. At the end of 1999, posthumously, posthumously published novel Juneteenth noted black author, Ralph Ellison called for the poignant question to be asked on Emancipation Day. How the hell do we get love into politics or compassion into history? The question calls for pause as much today as ever before. Meaning, what the heck are you celebrating? Or do you even know what ha- Do you know what's taking place? What took place then and what's taking place now? You understand me? I am a native of the state of Florida. The paperwork was read at the state of Florida on May 20th. Uh, The state of Florida, just uh, within the last five, uh, three, four, five years, have got together. uh, People, uh, curators of Black Museum in Florida have got together and say, we might want to commemorate the Emancipation Day in Florida. There are 20 Emancipation Days in the United States. There are about seven or eight or nine of them uh, post-Civil War. Are you following me? Do we know those days? Uh, June 19th. 1865. What they call Juneteenth. It's one post-Civil War emancipation day. Do we understand the others? Do we understand that they are emancipation days because you had melanoid, non-white, black classified, organized military efforts... By black union troops stepping from state to state, enforcing and protecting those newly read liberties. Meaning, the plantation owners didn't want their so called former property to lead a property you had a melanoid with a musket in his hand saying you can go where you want to go we got your back there is an era called the great portrayal of 1877 and that is when the northern uh powers and the southern powers got together and said let's remove the troops up out of the south meaning let's remove the troops to stop protecting the rights of people subject to non-white in particular black classification and a green light was placed on the backs of people subject to black classification and the robbery the pillaging had began by the time we got to the 1920s and the 1930s everything that was gained uh by those emancipation generation warriors men women and children was ripped from the bosom of the patriots of this nation and racism white supremacy was reconstructed solidified, certified, and it still continues today. We here on People Activity Radio, uh, I have a legacy of always crowbarring the emancipation generation into all my discussions, no matter what I'm talking about, either in contemporary times or I'm talking about history. It's nothing that you can talk about in the United States that does not involve the civil war emancipation generation. Is nothing you can talk about in the United States that does not involve the Revolutionary War um, generation. And in all both of those uh, fundamental conflicts, both of those wars, both of those histories, you have people subject to non-white, in particular black classification, that played major roles in the outcomes of those conflicts. It's either true or it's not true. And it is our responsibility if we descend from those individuals who put in that work, who made that ultimate sacrifice, it's it's, it's up to us to not only keep their spirit and their memory and the work that they put in on the forefront of our consciousness, we're also supposed to not only uplift that, use the things and the lessons learned from what our ancestors did and sacrificed. To help out the generation that's coming behind us. Everything you do. Should be an uplift. And maintenance. Of your designated group. The difference between black classified and most other groups is that this black classification is pounded on us. We ain't volunteer for this. Some of us don't even want let's be honest. And when you take a logical a clear look at this situation, it seems like insurmountable odds are always in front of you. But let me tell you something, ain't no more insurmountable than sitting on a plantation and everything is designed for you to work till you die. And whenever that was, you're lucky you got up to 30 years old depending on what type of plantation you was on. Don't get me started on those horrific conditions that the grandcestors and ancestors, had to endure. I will say one thing, though. Not only did our ancestors get up off them plantations, go up and get muskies near return, some of them had good sense to go up into them swamps to get those swamp melanoids. You understand me? Those maroon colony dwellers. Those uh, justice uh, practitioners, by any means necessary, who graduated from the plantations and lived off the grid. They had enough sense to go get them. I think that's why the war uh, got over real quick. That's neither here nor there. Uh, I would re- I would uh, greatly recommend that you uh, uh, partake in uh, filmmaker Tariq Nasheed's American Maroons. Got a lot of data up uh, about those warriors up out them swamps. You understand me? And it's either true or it's not true. I'm going to end this show with information... Uh, a grand by the name of Harry Jones, former curator of the African-American Civil War Museum, I believe, in D.C. And he gives a, 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 just a great presentation on what Juneteenth represents. And in his presentation, I, I can't do it justice. He keeps the focus on the sacrifice of the men women and children who did not sit up on a plantation waiting for somebody to come save them he puts a spotlight on the efforts the grandiose efforts to free themselves as well as keeping the United States from being overran by the Confederates and without further ado Civil War Museum Curator, the Grand Sesta, Harry Jones. Harry Jones. Harry Jones.
5: Should America celebrate Juneteenth Day? American school children have been taught that President Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves on January 1, 1863. However, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation only declared free slaves in the rebel states. There were 15 slave-holding states in January 1863. The proclamation applied to the 10 states that were in rebellion the 10 states that were fighting a bloody war against the Lincoln-led government in Washington. Therefore, Lincoln's proclamation had to be enforced by the military. Slaves in the rebel states were freed when federal authority was reestablished in those rebellious states by military force. And African-Americans played a major role in the military victory that resulted in their own liberation African-Americans who celebrate Juneteenth Day implicitly embrace the idea that the slaves were freed on January 1, 1863 without any effort of their own. Why do these celebrants accept as truth an inaccurate description of their own ancestors as inert recipients of freedom? Most of them value the importance of knowing their history. Would they continue to celebrate Juneteenth if they knew their history, and why don't they know their history? In a 1935 essay entitled The Propaganda of History, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote that influential European-American scholars falsified the history of the Civil War in order to suppress the fact that the United States government, the Union, quote, had to call in the black men to save the Union, abolish slavery, and establish democracy, close quote. The success of the propaganda campaign that Du Bois identified resonates today in the attempts to make Juneteenth Day, June 19th, a national holiday. Over 30 states have made June 19th a state holiday, representing a major victory for the historians, or rather the propagandists. Who deliberately falsified Civil War history to make African Americans appear to be inert recipients of freedom who did nothing to free themselves. The National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, NJOF, under the leadership of Ronald V. Myers, aggressively seeks to make June 19th a national holiday announcing that Nevada had become the 39th state to establish June 19th as a state holiday, NJOF explained the significance of Juneteenth. In this news release dated May 11th, 2011, the explanation reads, Juneteenth recognizes the day, June 19th, 1865, when Union General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to read General Order No. 3, announcing all slaves are free through the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation by President Abraham Lincoln. It took over two and a half years for the news to reach Southwest Texas, the last geographic area in America where slavery was practiced, creating the oldest African-American freedom celebration and America's second Independence Day. Let us closely examine the veracity of this statement and show how it lacks historical accuracy and that it's lack of historical accuracy aligns almost perfectly with the propaganda or simply the lies of those who have sought to suppress the history of how Americans of African descent freed themselves while saving the union. NJOF states, it took over two and a half years for the news of President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation to Reach Southwest Texas. Clearly implied is, the, is that the enslaved in Southwest Texas were doing nothing to free themselves between January 1863 and June 1865. And clearly advanced is the description of the Negroes in Texas as woefully ignorant of events related to the bloody national debate. NJOF's statement is perfectly aligned with the deliberate lie of W.E. Woodward when he wrote, quote, the American Negroes are the only people in the history of the world, so far as I know, that ever became free without any effort of their own, close quote. To state that slaves in Texas did not get the news that they were freed until June 19, 1865, when Granger announced all slaves are free is to assert that slaves in Texas and in all the states where the Emancipation Proclamation applied were freed without any effort of their own. Also, NJOF purports that Southwest Texas was the last geographic area in America where slavery was practiced and that slavery came to an end there when General Granger read his order in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865. Galveston, however, is not in Southwest Texas. It is in Southeast Texas. The Union Army under General Nathaniel P. Banks captured Brownsville, Texas, which is in Southwest Texas in November 1863. Five African descent regiments took part in this Union victory that resulted in the Union Army occupying the Southwestern tip of Texas for the duration of the war these African-American regiments became a part of the Union's occupation force in southwest Texas from 1863 to 1865 and the end of the war. Another notable error in the NJOF press release is the claim that southwest Texas was the last geographic area in America where slavery was practiced. Kentucky, Delaware, 12 parishes in Louisiana, and seven counties in Virginia that were exempt from the Emancipation Proclamation were, in fact, the last geographic areas in America where slavery was practiced. In these geographic areas, slavery did not come to an end officially until December 1865, when the 13th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified. NJOF also claims that Juneteenth is the oldest African-American freedom celebration. However, based on events during the Civil War, Emancipation Day in the District of Columbia, April 16, 1862, was the first African-American freedom celebration. Therefore, the oldest such celebration related to the Civil War. Without an appreciation of the facts related to emancipation, Ronald Myers and his foundation continues to lobby in hopes of establishing Juneteenth Day as a national holiday. The foundation's premise for Juneteenth is clearly false. The official explanation of the historical significance of the day is fictitious. Therefore, Myers and his foundation are attempting to legitimize false history. Unwittingly, this African-American organization is suppressing the empowering story of how Americans of African descent freed themselves while saving the union. This African-American foundation enthusiastically makes it appear that African-Americans are the only people in the history of the world that ever became free without any effort of their own. Myers and his foundation perpetuate the false assertions of Woodward and others who have sought to conceal the accurate story. Woodward was clearly a propagandist who lacked integrity. And Ronald Myers, as president of the NJOF, is unwittingly a Woodward disciple. The truth is that African-Americans played a critical role in their own liberation And this story needs to be told and celebrated. African-American soldiers were instrumental in the Union Army gaining a stronghold in southwest Texas in 1863. In capturing Charleston, South Carolina, the cradle of secession on February 18th, 1865 in capturing Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Confederacy on April 3rd, 1865, and in driving the Confederate Governor of Texas and his army out of Texas into Mexico on June 15th, 1865, four days before Granger arrived in Galveston. Without knowledge of such historical facts, thousands of conscious African Americans celebrate Juneteenth Day. Knowledge of the successful efforts of victorious African-American freedom fighters in the Civil War, compels us to reject the history presented by Woodward and his unwitting disciples. Conscious men such as Myers are victims of a very successful propaganda campaign and are apparently unaware of the facts. Section 2 of the Nevada legislation calls on educators to advance the false statement That the last slaves in the United States were emancipated on June 19, 1865. Consequently, a lie has become law in Nevada. How has this happened in 39 states when the accurate history is easily accessible? It has happened because the propaganda campaign identified by Du Bois was successful in miseducating many conscious African Americans, and these African Americans have successfully institutionalized a lie that suppresses the accomplishments of their own ancestors. Du Bois wrote in his 1935 essay, The Propaganda of History, quote, one has but to read the debates in Congress and state papers from Abraham Lincoln down to know that the decisive action which ended the Civil War was the emancipation and arming of the black slave. That as Lincoln said, without the military help of the black freedmen, the war against the South could not have been won. The freemen, far from being the inert recipients of freedom at the hands of philanthropists, furnished 200,000 soldiers in the Civil War who took part in nearly 200 battles and skirmishes and in addition perhaps 300,000 others as effective laborers and helpers. The victims, the miseducated must be made aware of the truth and after being exposed to the truth they should cease and desist from advancing Woodward's lie by celebrating Juneteenth as the day when the last slaves were set free by someone in Washington. Certainly, informed and knowledgeable people should not celebrate the suppression of their own history. Juneteenth Day is a de facto celebration of such suppression. Americans, especially Americans of African descent, should not celebrate when the enslaved were freed by someone else because that's not the accurate story. They should celebrate when the enslaved freed themselves by saving the Union. Such freedmen were heroes, not spectators, and their story is currently being suppressed by the advocates of the Juneteenth national holiday. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves It made it legal for this disenfranchised, enslaved population to free themselves while maintaining the supremacy of the Constitution and preserving the Union. They became the heroes of the Republic. It is, as Lincoln said, without the military help of the black freedmen, the war against the South could not have been won. That's worth celebrating. That's worth telling the story of how Americans of African descent helped save the Union and freed themselves, let's celebrate the truth, a glorious history, a story of a glorious march to liberty, to liberty, to
1: liberty, thank you. And there you have it, straight, no chaser, bars,
2: bars, Bars.
1: civil war historian, civil war African-American museum curator, the late, great grand sister, harry jones if you got your libations you know what to do with it what to do with it and i hope and i hope, and I, I, have hope I have contributed i have contributed to less confusion and always remember keep learning keep learning keep learning, keep learning. Keep and stay codified, and stay codified. Five.
0: Bye.